Welcome to the Adea DPL podcast. In this two-part episode, DPL's David Lau and Head of Inside Information, Bob Veras, discuss fixed income and other challenges facing RIAs today. You're now listening to part two. You do surveys and you do them really well on large scale and have, have for a long time. We've been doing a retirement income survey for the last few years to try to get some insights from advisors on how they're looking at retirement. Because one of the things I think is an evolution in the marketplace is that retirement for an advisor, for their clients, is more of a problem now than it has been probably ever in their career if they've been around for a while. And if they're a new advisor, this is a, a pretty new problem. Your clients generally don't have pensions anymore. Social security is a little questionable as to whether everybody believes it'll be around, but maybe benefits will be diminished a little bit. Um, Interest rates are so low, typical fixed assets that your fixed income assets that advisors would use just aren't yielding the same things. In order to stay up on top of everything and keep evolving, not only as an industry, but as an advisor and continue to learn is always so important for the client. And a lot of what we see in our survey is that advisors sometimes struggle to keep up with the changes. We saw some you know, really interesting results in this year's survey, which reflect some of what we've seen in the past years too. One of the things that I find astounding is 70% of the RIAs that responded to our survey believe the safe withdrawal rate, Bill Bengen's 4% rule, is higher today than at the time that Bengen created the rule, even given today's interest rate environment. 40% of, you know, of RIAs are you know, using total return portfolios to make up for low interest rate environments, exposing clients to more risk and the strategies they're using that you know they respond to in the surveys for mitigating sequence of returns and managing clients' retirement income seem to be at conflict with some of the best practices. I think advisors are really struggling with how do you fund retirement income in this low interest rate environment. They're still holding on to legacy ideas and strategies that don't work any longer. Yeah, I think part of it is the Monte Carlo software. You know, Monte Monte Carlo software will tell you you have an 87% chance of funding your retirement and a 13% chance of failure. I think most people interpret failure as I'm going to live in a cardboard box under a bridge. And that's not actually true, but it, it might be true for some clients or it might be you know, conceptually true for some. Um, the, the more interesting data is the data that Monte Carlo software leaves out. And there's a couple of programs now out there that actually can't recapture that data. And what you find is that the failures will be a relatively small change in lifestyle. You might have to do a, a 10% less um, income in five or six of your retirement years. And then you go back to what you were before. Or you might have to tighten your belt over the rest of your rest of your retirement, but only by a relatively small amount. And the situations where you do have to tighten are situations where most of your income is coming from a total return portfolio. The situations where you don't have to tighten so much are where you have certain amounts of your retirement income coming from fixed sources like Social Security or an annuity or a defined benefit plan. Yep. And so 
the way you cut off those tails, the way you make it so that you don't have to diminish your retirement income is you you, you do one of two things. You either do that cash reserve, which reduces your portfolio return over time, or and 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 the cash reserve. I, I, I count cash reserve as having short-term bonds in there as well. That's a cash equivalent in my mind, particularly at today's yep. interest rates. Um, yes. Or or you you increase the amount of fixed income you're getting from sources and one of the one of those possibilities is to buy a a, a SPIA or a VA product that that has some of the some of these newfangled VA products. You know, you know way more about these than I do, but some of them <laughs> provide fixed income just like a SPIA, but they also provide the possibility of an increase in return, which they didn't used to back when I was um, railing against the insurance industry. That's you know a really interesting notion because there's a lot of people who write about you know, monitoring client spending, adjusting spending, and you know to that you know to your notion of the failure rate in Monte Carlo scores and most of the primary planning softwares you know out there, Money Guide Pro, eMoney, they operate off of those kind of Monte Carlo scores, success failure. And there is that notion that, yeah, you can adjust spending, you can adjust lifestyle. It's not always true. You can't always adjust. Sometimes, you know, people have health issues or other spending crises that come up. The other part of that that I think is really interesting that doesn't get addressed is asking the client how they feel about it. How does the client feel about the possibility that they need to adjust? Is the client okay with that? Or do they not want to have to have to adjust? Do they want to be firm? How do they feel about risking their retirement income? It's something I've seen that I think is an evolution that still needs to happen. When we're doing risk assessment as an industry relative to clients, we're really assessing their risk tolerance during accumulation. Those same risk assessments don't really work when it comes to retirement and their retirement income because the goals now go from asset accumulation to income creation. And the current risk assessments don't do a great job of that. And I will ask if you've seen Wade Fow and Alex Merguia from McLean Asset Management, they've got a new, I'll call it psychological you know, risk assessment called the retirement income style assessment, which asks clients, like, how do you feel about you know, your retirement income? Do you want to be safety first? Do you want to you know, make sure you're insuring your income? Uh, are you okay with variable income? Are you okay with making adjustments? And let the clients kind of tell you how they want their retirement managed. I think it's a really fascinating and important development as well. But the, the interesting thing about that is that you, you say to a client, you know, how comfortable are you cutting back on your retirement income if the markets go down dramatically? The, the logical question the client is going to ask is, well, how much are you talking about? And right. the Monte Carlo analysis doesn't do that, doesn't give you that information. So I, we're going to have to get better, and we have tools that will do that, but but they're, they're niche tools right now. Um, and of course, you can use a spreadsheet and, and do a Monte Carlo using some of the add-ons there and, and look at it. But what I would want to to be able to tell clients is you can insure your fixed expenses in some yes. way. And you can insure your fixed expenses with these newfangled products now without disinheriting your heirs. There will be a cash value they'll get, but there, there's also a guaranteed mm-hmm. income. Of course, if you live to yeah. 120, you will disinherit your heirs anyway because the, the product will run out of, of cash and so probably will your retirement portfolio. But that's the other aspect of it is that not only are you you 
guaranteeing that your fixed expenses will be paid. You're guaranteeing that for life. That's and right. I'm planning to live to 120. My wife is planning to live to 118. So I'm going to have two years of data <laughs> process, you know, and, and I want my expenses to be paid during those last two years. That's right. You want to be able to entertain. Yeah. At that point. That's a, a paradigm that really works for clients. You know, so that's the way, you know, you know, we try to reflect, you know, academic research in, you know, the way we work with our firms and how we recommend they, you know, think about funding an annuity and, you know, how much they look to fund an annuity for a client. And that's generally the way we talk about because it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, to clients. And, and there's, you know, tons of academic research that backs it up that fund essential expenses with guaranteed sources. And maybe that's pensions, maybe that's Social Security. You top it off with an annuity uh, if you need to. And then use equities for the discretionary things, you know, discretionary spending, uh, you know, that may or may need to be cut back depending on where the market goes and legacy. And that like kind of simple paradigm of, you know, how or framework of how to think about funding, you know, a retirement really seems to resonate for clients. And that's pretty new, you know, in the RIA channel. And that's something, you know, we work with with RIAs, you know, on all you know, all day, every day. And many of them are surprised when they you know, present that approach to their clients, how well that is received. And then, of course, the skepticism that you're, you're I'm sure you're facing. I'm just guessing that, that every once in a while you run to a skeptical advisor. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, um, in <laughs> once fact, in a while, the insurance industry has been so good at hiding um expenses and commissions for so long and it's been so committed to the sales process as opposed to what we called consumerism that yeah. you know whenever you talk about annuities the first thing that comes to mind is i'm going to make the sign of the cross at it so it you know it'll, it'll be back to <laughs> hell where it came from and yes there's there's obviously going to have to be a period of adjustment and there was for mutual funds too I go back that yep. far. I remember when <laughs> everybody was a little skeptical about mutual funds and because they didn't really know for sure what they were getting. They were, um, and, and of course the commissions were in there and, but the commissions weren't nearly as high as some of the other products were being sold. So they were getting a little bit ignored and then, you know, Fidelity went fee only or went commissionless and, um, no load. That's the word I, I keep searching for. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, you still wondered whether Fidelity was hiding something and turns out they had pretty high expense ratios, but, and they weren't disclosing them because nobody, there was no place to find that. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for advisors to feel comfortable with the, 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 the product designs of the, the insurance industry, particularly annuities, and particularly because there, there's been such a long history of not being consumerist. Um, right. and, then, and then you've got the challenge of, all right, you've got all these different features that can be built into the product and the insurance industry has unlimited scale to amortize the, the costs and therefore drive down the costs of all these different features that you might want and might not want to pay a lot of money for that are going to have to be explained. And, and that's, that's, those are, you know, 
I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to have to learn about all this crap. You know, <laughs> you know I don't care that it's good for my clients. I, it, it requires me to sit down and learn something new. You've, you've got all these yes. obstacles that really are going, are going to make it harder for, for you. And interestingly, that'll make it harder for the insurance industry to trust that this is a viable distribution model when they've, they've relied on this other distribution model that's more familiar to them for so long. You've got all this chicken and egg stuff going on. Exactly. Relative to that, there's a lot of stuff in there and all excellent observations. One, you know, one of the things we see you know, when we look at products, you, you get carriers who you know, really embrace you know, the direction we give them in terms of you know product design and pricing and transparency and others who just want to you know take a commission product and and reprice it take the commission out and say you know here it is um and it's still kind of a complicated non-transparent product and it doesn't then sell or doesn't get in our words doesn't get used you know by you know by rias so um i think that that will you know prove itself out you know over time. You've got to have enough volume going through to clearly show that carriers are starting to see that now. Those who haven't embraced creating a true RIA product you know, are really looking to do so now, and I think that's important. The other part of that is getting advisors to do new things. To get anybody to do something new in any regard is always generally challenging. But it's almost like technology adoption. You get you know we've got the early adopters now. We're we're starting. To get some fast followers, uh, it'll become mainstream. And one of the things that really drives it is the challenge with fixed income and this expanding retirement. You know, you know, retirement, like I said, is kind of a new problem for advisors. You don't have, you know, the comfort of 6% bond yields and, you know, pensions and, you know, robust social security. Um, you've got really low bond yields and fixed income. And how do you fund, you know, your retirement that now looks to be, you know, 30 years or in your case, you know, I don't know when you're going to retire, but a life expectancy to 120 years. How do you fund that, you know, in it, you know, when interest rates are, you know, real interest rates are, you know, zero to negative. Um, and that is causing, you know, advisors to look to annuities because in the low interest rate environment, annuities really shine. And that's one of the common misperceptions, you know, of advisors who don't understand, you know, the value of annuities is, oh, it's low interest rates. I shouldn't look to an annuity. Actually, it's the exact time you should be looking at an annuity because the value of the annuity is so much stronger in a low interest rate environment. And that's because of, you know, the risk pooling and the mortality credit. That you got um, the dead pay the living is the way I, I have put it. In <laughs> there you go. And yes, and your in your uh, glass is half full <laughs> viewpoint. But the, um, the but that, that's that's exactly right. So um, if you look at you know Wade Thau or David Blanchett, I mean they they put together you know some analysis you know of you know real returns of bonds versus annuities and you know in historic interest rate environments, you know, 5% you know, type bond yields, annuities are a little better than 20% more efficient uh, in generating income. In low interest rate environments, it's 40, 45%. So, you know, right now, um, you know, you can fund income in retirement so much more efficiently with an annuity. And I think, you know, as advisors see that, you know, through us and through our tools and, and you know, see the academic research, that really drives change and, and drives adoption of the products. Once, once you look at it, it's hard to unsee it. 
um, it's it's so compelling for for the client. Well, I think I've I've been actually trying to figure out. I've I've spent some time trying to figure out how the insurance industry can provide higher fixed returns than the bond world can. And and what I finally came to was that they can create more diversified portfolios and then overlay that on the mortality assumptions they make and therefore create, uh, if that makes sense, a, a, a higher yielding portfolio for the pool that they're dealing with, if that makes sense. Um, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, I mean, in the way, like, you know, Wade Fowle puts it, you know, which, which kind of makes it a little, you know, understandable for somebody who thinks about, you know, these things in terms of like investments, you know, when you're look when you're investing in equities and, and in, you know, the, the stock market, you're getting a risk premium. You're assuming you're getting a risk premium on your dollars. You're in that risk premium is worth whatever, you know, six, seven percent historically, maybe four or five percent in this, you know, in, you know, the, the coming years. Um, when you're using you know, traditional bonds, you're getting no real premium. You used to get some risk premium if you went down the credits, you know, the credit spectrum. You get a little bit of risk premium today in that. But when you use an annuity that can generate income and give you the benefits of you know, risk pooling and do it so, so much more effectively than, than you could through traditional fixed income. The piece of it that I find more compelling is you know, the, the higher return, if I wait long enough, I'm probably going to get higher return from the bond portfolio. It's the guaranteed income for life that I feel like is the compelling proposition. Advisor clients tend to live longer than the average person because they're they're able to afford better health care and therefore going to have a little longer time period to to fund. For them, I think annuities might be, you know, if, if they if they outlive by 20 or 30 years, their 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 expected lifespan, they make out like bandits on the annuity investment. That, that's right. And yeah, typically, you know, the clients, as you said, you know, that are working with financial advisors or, you know, as they say, the wealthier, healthier set. And, and you know, they should you know, generally outlive, you know, the mortality tables uh, and do quite well in annuities. But anyhow, and as we're getting towards the end of our time here, enough about annuities. Let's go back to RIAs and kind of general trends. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing RIAs today? There's so much going on. The first challenge is to find a specialized clientele to work with. I used to call them niches, but I don't think they're niches anymore. I think they're specializing. In in the medical world, you're I would not go to an eye doctor for my sore knee. And I think the the specialization is going to take a different form in the RA world, but you're gonna you're gonna specialize in different types of clients. You're gonna know your client, you're gonna know their idioms, you're gonna know their challenges, you're gonna know, and that's a learning curve. That's that's a whole new learning curve for a lot of RIAs to, to address. Right. Um, and, and and how do you and and one of the challenges like how do you get from here to there, right? So how do you go, yeah. you know, from from that generalist to you know, being the you know, the guy that you described earlier, who specializes in doctors and can be helpful about you know how much comp you should be making and and you know the systems you should be using and stuff like that. That's you know maybe there's a whole profession uh, of consultants that you know can help people transition into those niche specialties. Well, I don't, I don't think it's impossible to do. I think what 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 I would do if I was an advisor is I would sit down and look at my current client base and say, who do I really enjoy working with? 
And how can I help them more? What what kind of a service model could I create for them that would be different from anything that they could possibly get? And, and how could I start introducing that to them? And how can I get their feedback on that service model? And then how can I create a community around them where other people are invited to webinars from people that they would like to hear present on and how can I interact with that larger community to find out what more things they want. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole iterative process that you can go through that. And then of course the the next challenge is how do I do that? And then how do I change my website to say that I'm working with this particular niche without offending my current clients? And the way to do that, of right. course, is sit down with your current clients and say, you know, we've been working together for 20 years and I really value our relationship. We're going to start specializing in this other group of clients, but I want to continue working with you because I feel um, a, a, a very close relationship and I don't want it to for that to go away. And the client will be flattered by that. You know, well, you, they still want me. That's great. You know, I, I, I love this person. Um, and the, the second challenge, I think, is to figure out how to work with people who have not already accumulated worth, net worth. And that mm-hmm. means coming up with a service model, and that means coming up with a revenue model that's appropriate for those people. And I think you can, you can create a much larger, broader client base by doing that. And, and I think when you start to look at the, the specialized clientele, not all of them are going to have accumulated portfolios. And so you need to be able to charge those other people in your specialized clientele appropriately, even if they haven't got AUM type assets. So both of those are, are actually starting to happen right now, but I think they're 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 not they're not trivial challenges. They're going to be no, they're, they're going to require a lot of work to to make happen, and it's going to be rewarding work on the other end. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, mean, I I definitely like I said I, I really gravitate to the idea of you know having specialties you know, as a financial advisor. Um, you know it it seems to make all the sense in the world and but it it kind of, to get to be the specialist i think it requires financial advisors to do something that you know they're not necessarily used to doing and that's asking their clients about things you know because if you want to be a specialist in doctors and you say you've got you know your five doctors you know, really the way to get to be a specialist is start asking them what could i do that could be helpful to you in particular and what kind of things do you you know do you see and start gathering information from them advisors are so used to or feeling like they need to be the expert all the time because they think that you know their clients are always you know coming to them to be an, the expert but in order to help you know build that expertise sometimes you have to ask questions and the way you ask those questions is important the way you phrase yes. the question i think would would be dysfunctional what else can i do for you <laughs> and the client would say i don't know you know right well, but if you say same thing, you'll you'll get do the same thing you're doing but do it cheaper that's, yeah that's, that's generally right. what a client would tell you <laughs> So what what I would I, why, how I would rephrase that is tell me about some of your biggest challenges tell me about some of the issues that keep you up at night tell me about and maybe four or five of the things they say won't really apply to your professional relationship but maybe one or two will and yeah. then later maybe they'll think of something else and that'll be and you start iteratively building this 
deeper relationship with your best clients and they start seeing more value in what you're doing and that drives referrals and it also informs your website. You, you tell stories on your website. You say, you know, well, we, a, a doctor came to us with this challenge and here's what we did and it has a happy ending. Um, and you have three or four of those stories in there and that tells the world, here's who we work with, here's what we do and here's what you can expect to get out of it. That's terrific. And I'll, I'll wrap up with one. Do you have a secret niche that you think would be great for an advisor? Like everybody goes to a doctor, lawyer. Is there one that is kind of off the radar out, outside of the general conversations about such things that you think are, would be really interesting for an advisor? Yeah, newsletter publishers for the financial services industry <laughs> a strong niche for advisors. I think there's a danger in being a little too, too um tightly focused. I think that's one of the things that, and that's something else that iteratively is going to have to be figured out. Are we slightly too tightly focused? Do we need to expand a little bit? Um, but, you know, whatever, I, my, my wife is a horse owner. I think there would be a great niche for people who are horse lovers, horse owners, who are in the equestrian community. I think that's a pretty interesting group of people. So, so we, yeah, absolutely, we have that in common. My, my wife also a, a horse owner, which kind of makes me a horse owner. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, unique, uh, unique uh, needs for horse owners. Anyhow, Bob, it's been a tremendous, really enjoyed having you here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, go to dplfp.com and subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. 